here. <clears throat> I realized that there were two things. I thought I was emotionally okay. And I realized walking in the door, there's two triggers. One, when I talk, and secondly, when I see people. <laughs> so this does not bode well for any of us. Um, there's a friend here who before my daughter got married, I, I don't know if he's here or not, but uh, a friend who comes here who before my daughter got married, when we dropped kids off at school, uh, would always send me little videos, of, you know, from movies trying to help somebody get control when they start to cry, right? So a great clip about how there's no crying in baseball and a clip from The Godfather. So at any moment, I give that person permission to come up and to just slap me and get me under control. Um, so, but this is, this is, this is going to be good. Um, it's going to be good. Kevin DeVos and I, a bunch of years ago, went to the went to um, <clears throat> a missions trip, went to the Amazon jungle, had the opportunity, hopefully nobody here will arrest us for this, had the opportunity to fly in a Cessna uh, into an indigenous tribe. And after, you know, I told the story before about how the pilot told us all the ways he would try to help us survive if the plane were to crash, which was not encouraging. But as we would, like, try to land or do end arounds, or you'd kind of fly between these, these big, huge landscape, different hills and stuff, but when you got too close to something, there would be this little warning prompt that would start to flash that would say, terrain alert, terrain alert. I did not feel comfortable with that. But at that point, you're supposed to pull up so that you avoid crashing into the whatever will cause you to totally fall apart and crash. So I have pulled up the Cessna, man, right? So I'm trying to avoid the terrain alert of having you guys watch me literally just sob up here for 46 minutes and 12 seconds. That would be horrible. Um, so appreciate you guys, and we'll see how this goes, okay? Well, welcome to Calvary, and if it's your first Sunday, and you've just clicked on your walk-in, and you're like, dude, what is going on? Um, well, here's what's going on, and when you put something together like this, you know, five years from now, I'll look back and think, oh, maybe I should have structured that sermon a little differently, but it's structured, so we're doing it. Um, if it's your first Sunday here, we're, uh, we're really glad you're here. And if it's your first Sunday here, you may be wondering, why is this guy so choked up? I'm choked up because um, it's our last Sunday here, and it's our last Sunday worshiping with you guys, and um, terrain alert, terrain alert. <laughs> <clears throat> and I just want to get that out front um, because there's been a lot of great questions, different times over the past weeks, a bunch of you have said, hey, we know you're not on staff, we know you're not preaching anymore, but man, are you going to keep coming to worship here? And so I just want to give clarity about that because the worst thing we could have is any confusion. So it's an awkward time to put up front, but let's, let's talk about one of the several elephants in the room, right? Um, w man, our hearts, we would love to sit on the blue chairs and drink adequate free coffee and sing with you guys um, until we see Jesus, right? That's our heart, and that's our heart because we care about you. But because we care about you, we, we have made a decision. We're not being asked to. We've actually not even really had any conversations about it because we decided it. Um, because we care about you, we have decided that we're not going to worship here with you guys because that would not be best for rich joy, that would not be best for the next pastor that you hire at Calvary. And so ultimately, that would not be what is best for you guys. And so our hearts would love to, but 
we want you because we care about you, and because we care about you, that wouldn't be best for you, and so we're not going to end our decade here with you doing something that isn't, in our opinion, best for you. So, um, so, we, so with that, right, the question then becomes, um, so what does one say today? And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, what, man, right? What, how, how should I structure this sermon? What do I do? How do we package this? I thought about getting inspiration from the most frightening movie ever made. I, I shared with you before what the best movie ever was. You guys remember the best movie? <laughs> you guys aren't going to remember a thing about Revelation or anything we've ever preached about. You're just going to remember that moron said this was the What's the best movie? If you, <laughs> which Top Gun? Yes, you guys are so good. Grab a tissue on the way out. Yes, Top Gun Maverick, best movie ever made. Do you know what the most frightening movie ever made in the history of any, all of cinematography is? You ready for it? I'm just going to tell you because you're never, but it's true because I'm a pastor. Sound of Music. <laughs> Sound of Music. I don't care if you're family tradition. When does it come on? Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. Yeah, I always try to have, like, COVID right around that time, so I have to be alone in my room if my family... Sound of Music is the most scary movie that's ever been made. I don't know what it is about it. When I was a little kid, and there's that scene when they're hiding in the cemetery, and the Nazis come, and Hans or Frank or Wilhelm, whatever the dude's name, blows his whistle, and there's nuns running, and there's Nazis running, and it, it terrified me, right? Scariest movie ever made. In this moment, I thought about getting inspiration from that movie, because... <laughs> what you may remember about that movie, and I'm sorry if you've seen it. We will offer free counseling later if you're traumatized like me. There's this scene where the Von Trapp family is doing this little singing thing, right? And, but they're, they're doing this singing thing. But they also got somewhere they got to go. And so they do the little singing thing, and then they win the award. And so there's this big moment when everything's poised for them to come out and get the award. And the presenter of the award says, the Von Trapp family, and it's going, and nobody shows up on stage. And then he's a little paranoid, so he tries it again. The family Von Trapp, and nobody shows up on stage. I thought about just not showing up this morning. <laughs> I did. No, I'm actually, can I just tell, I'll tell you one other thing. Then we'll get to the sermon, because whatever. Um, I'm going to tell you something, and you can judge me because you can't fire me. What are you going to do? Uh, if I wasn't married, I wouldn't have shown up this morning. <laughs> I'd have been like, hey, whatever. I can't. But I showed. I, I thought it would be very dramatic for Emmanuel or Jim to be up here saying, and now Peter. <laughs> But I decided not to do that. Uh, I thought about taking inspiration from Dave Letterman. I know I'm dating myself. Um, he used to have the top 10 list, right? <clears throat> and he would do the top 10 whatevers. And so I thought, hey, I guess I better show up. And if I show up, um, you know, different people could do this different ways. Some people could, and it's fine, could do like, hey, 10 thoughts from 10 years, um, other people could do, hey, in this moment, let me give you five thoughts for the next five years or four takeaways from, but you know what, uh, man, just none of that felt right to me. It didn't feel right to try to do 10 thoughts from 10 years or five years, thoughts for the next five years, or whatever. And it didn't feel right um, for two reasons. Reason number one, and I really, really mean this, that 
I, you know what? I just felt like if I did that, this could somehow become all about me sharing my wisdom with you. And um, I don't want this to be about that. This, our church has never ultimately or never really been about the people whose face are on the staff or pastor team of our website. Our church for a hundred, I, I should have really figured out how old Calvary is. For 138 years, maybe? I don't know. Man, it's never been about whoever's face has been on the website or whose face has been in pen and ink in the old sanctuary. It's been about Jesus. It's been about Jesus. And so it didn't feel right at the end to do something that I've never done with me telling you pontificating my wisdom, which isn't that wise. Um, and this isn't Calvary, but this is just a reminder for all of us, right? When a church becomes more about the person doing the preaching than the word that is being preached, man, man that's a terrain alert warning, right? And we're not that, but, but let's not end with that um, thought in our mouths. And man, the second reason I didn't want to just come up here and make a list of my own brain about the top 10 things or five reasons for this is that's not what we do, right? What we do week after week is we get our Bibles and we open up God's word and the pastor doesn't come with his thoughts for the day. The pastor comes with the text and the text determines what we talk about that day. And so I didn't want it to be 10 thoughts, five thoughts, because didn't want it to be about me and because that's not what we do, right? And so um, I thought, hey, let's just do what we do, right? Why not just do what we do? And we open up the text. Now, that said, I'm going to drop a footnote, okay? And uh, here's the footnote. Um, and, and you know how in political speeches there's applause lines? This is not an applause line. I know in my brain this is like a sobbing line. So I'm just warning you, okay? There, there is one thought um, ugh, that I want to make sure uh, I convey. And, and this thought has been going through my mind for the past uh, weeks and months. Um, and I know that I know that there's some stuff at the end, and I told those people, if this stuff at the end is sad, I am walking off the stage, right? I told David Lemaire, who lives on Pinewood Lake, who's had a problem with geese, that, and he thinks he's remedied it, but I did. I called the dude. I said, Lemaire, I'm just telling you, bro, if your talk at the end of this is sad, every Sunday, because I will now have Sundays off, I'm going to bring 10 Canadian geese to your front lawn <laughs> for one year, Okay. Um, and, and there's a video, like, I almost pulled my last trump card, but I'm not employed. But there's a video. If this feels like I've died and I'm sitting at my own funeral, I'm walking out, okay? And I know there's going to be some time that I could say something then. I don't know what I'll be like emotionally then. So I want to make sure I say this now, okay? And we all know this. We cannot say everything that needs to be said over a 10-year relationship story in two minutes. How can you condense 10 years of joys and excitement and growth and change and struggles in two minutes? You can't, right? So, so I won't do a good job then, but let me make sure I say this now. The thought that has just been, the one thought I do want to make sure I capture and convey, it's this word that's just been in my brain the past couple of uh, weeks and months. It's, it's gratitude. It's gratitude. Um, I mean, if you looked at my journal, you'd think, dude, he's just written gratitude everywhere. Doesn't he know how to spell something else? I, I do. Not a whole lot. But uh, I, I'm, and I, I've prayed this, like, 
Oh, man, they didn't start the sermon timer. I'm sorry. I hope you brought a lunch with you. <laughs> um, man, I, I honestly, I know that God knows our heart. God knows our thoughts. I know that. I get that. I know that, right? So he knows this. But I want to make sure. I prayed this. I just prayed, God, I just hope you know how grateful I am to God um, for allowing me to serve here. And, man, I'm grateful to the team that I've served with for 10 years. Every single person who I've served with here for 10 years, man, has taught me something about Jesus, and I've been honored to serve with every single one of them. Um, and it is remarkable, the people that you've had and the people that you have who serve you and have served me so well. It's been a joy um, to be serving with them. And um, I'm grateful for you. You know, I'm, I'm, that's an understatement. All of those are, what am I supposed to do if I'm done? Stick in my pocket, I guess? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be that pastor in the way it just throws it on the floor, right? Um, I'm grateful for you. Um, man, it's, it's been a great story we've had together, at least, from my, at least from my perspective. If I see a countdown clock at the end, too, like four minutes till he's gone, that won't be that encouraging. But um, I'm grateful for you. You know, I remember when I came, it was either Mike Kraft or uh, Jake Zempier who, who made the comment when I was candidating that, well, you know, Calvary's really unique because they really care for their pastors. And I thought, well, that's nice. That sounds like what every church says. But there is a unique richness about the way that this body does care for their pastors. And I, this is my third church, been in a lot of churches, third church I served in. There is a unique richness about this body, which means about you and how you have cared for all of your pastors who have served here, including us. And so, um, thank you. Thank you. You've let me be me, um, which can sometimes be good and sometimes be not good. Uh, but I'm grateful. So, I don't want to spend the rest of the time sharing other random thoughts because, again, don't want it to be about me, and that's not what we do. And what we do is we open up the Word and we say, today's text is whatever today's text is. And so guess what? Today's text is, and this was interesting too. When I was thinking what I didn't want it to be, don't want it to be about me. Don't want, I thought, man, I literally, I honestly just want this to be about Jesus. Like, I know every pastor should say that, but like, I really mean it because that's what our church is about. And so today's text is Revelation 22, verses 13 through 21. Revelation 22, verses 13 through 21. And guess what today's text is about? Jesus. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's actually, like, really cool. Uh, so, if you got your Bible or your device, <clears throat> open it up. Revelation 22, 13 through 21. And this morning what we're going to see is we're going to see four things to remember about Jesus. Four things to remember about Jesus. And so, let's jump into it, right? Man, I'm just excited that we've gotten through Revelation. Uh, here we go. Well, we're not there yet. Yikes, better get through it. All right. Here we go, Revelation, verse 13. Uh, this is Jesus talking. We've covered a lot in this book, right? This book is a book about hope. We've learned a lot of things, and now at the ending, I mean, we've been in this for literally almost a year, and now the ending of this book, Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking. And he says these things, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning 
and the end. Alpha is the first word of the Greek alphabet. Omega, uh, the first letter. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In case you don't know your Greek, he makes it even clearer, right? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I'm the last. I'm the beginning and I am the end. And, and in this, what Jesus is saying is, look, I am before anything that's ever happened in anyone's story. I am eternal. I am preexistent, right, in the form of the Son. I have always been. I am at the beginning of it all. I am at the end of it all. I will always be after that. And everything and anything that happens in between these two points, the beginning and the end, Jesus is saying, I am present and I am there too. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, I am the end, I'm in the beginning of the story, I'm at the end of the story, and everything that happens between those two things, what Jesus is saying is, I am there. Eternal, boundless, limitless, and with all that, beginning and middle, there's also this, this idea that we've talked a lot about the sovereignty and the control of Jesus. That he has authored and he controls and he's bigger than everything that happens in between these two points. First truth and thing to remember about Jesus is this. Jesus is Jesus is, right? Not just that he was, not just that he will be, but that at every moment for all of eternity, he is. And if he is and as he is, and if he's been at the beginning of every story and at the end of every story and in the middle of every story and will be part of the story for all eternity, that means this, that in this moment, Jesus knows exactly what's happening in your story. We have our story, right? And if you're trying to figure it out, we've shared it a lot. But a bunch of years ago, we were in the marketplace. And then, I don't know, 20-ish, 20-plus years ago, we were called out of the marketplace to go to vocational ministry. And over the past period of time, we felt God calling us back into the marketplace, right? That's our story. And so that's why we're transitioning out this to minister in a different way, in a new way, in a different platform. Um, but, but that's our story. And we're talking about that a little bit today. But, but you have a story. And there's something going on in the story of every single person in the room this morning. And some of those things are great things. Some of those things aren't so great things. And if you're in a great place in your story this morning, there will be one day, someday, where you're not in such a great place in your story. And no matter where you are in your story, what would be great for you to hold on to from the last words that Jesus said to the churches in this letter is remember that Jesus is. He is present there with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is bigger than anything that will ever happen in your story. Sometimes in our stories, he doesn't display his bigness. Sometimes he doesn't display his bigness. But that doesn't change the fact that he is bigger and nothing is beyond his control. 
Jesus knows every single thing that's going on in your story. And guess what? Jesus knows every single thing that's going on in your story together as a body at Calvary. Jesus knew, and he knows, every single day, every single date that any pastor who served on staff at Calvary would ever come, and he knew that the date that any pastor at Calvary would ever stop serving at Calvary to go on to whatever Jesus had next to him. He knows. Man, he He's not, like, surprised by me saying, I'm going to go do something else. He's not like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? Right? Jesus is not in heaven shaking the magic eight ball trying to figure out what to do. Man, Jesus has got this church as a body. It's amazing what he has done through Calvary and what he will do through Calvary. And he knows what's going on in your personal story. He knows what's going on in the story of Calvary Church. You are his body, we are his body, and he loves us, and he takes amazing and good care of us, and he loves us and takes care of us and is able to take care of us because he is the Alpha and the Omega, because he is. And we see, as Jesus continues talking, his love for us and how he sees us. He then uses this interesting phrase, moving into 14, he says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gate. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There's this interesting phrase, blessed are those who wash their robes, right? What he's been talking about, he's been talking a lot. We've heard in the book of Revelation about those with robes who are washed, those who aren't. And the people who wash their robes, he's referring to the people that we would call Christians, those people who we would refer to as believers, people who have responded in faith to what Jesus did And as such, what the story is, is that their sins have been forgiven. And because of that, right, they're blessed. Because of that, they have clean robes. What Jesus is saying, right, because of that, they're forgiven and they're clean. And if that is the category in which you're in this morning, right, what what Jesus would say and what you're included is, man, you're one of those who are blessed. You're one of those who Jesus sees as holy, you're, you're one of those who Jesus sees as righteous because he, you, when you responded in faith to Jesus, what you did was you benefited from what Jesus did on the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross was stood as a substitute for every single one of us. And said, right, there was this exchange where Jesus said this, right? He didn't say, if you want to have a relationship with God, do more nice things than bad things. That ain't in the book. Now, you can want to add it to, it ain't in the book, okay? What Jesus said is this, you will never, ever, ever, ever be able to do enough good things to make yourself right with God because there will always be sin. But what Jesus said is, look, I will live the perfect life for you and I will stand in your place as your substitute. And I will make this agreement where I will take your sin and I will be punished for it. Jesus was punished for every sin that I committed and because of every sin that I committed. And then Jesus says, I will take that punishment so that you never have to know punishment from God and I will give to you, right? I will impute, big word, I'm going to leave you for the day, impute, 
righteousness, holiness, forgiveness to you so that you won't be filled with shame or guilt or consequences anymore so that you will be blessed. So that you will be blessed. And what this text screams and what a lot of text screams are if you're a believer, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are free. And God's favor is on you. Here's the second thing to remember. Jesus has enabled you to be blessed and Jesus views you as blessed. And so, our identity, if we're a Christian, man, it's in Jesus, right? Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is how Jesus sees us which is accepted, which is valuable, which is not guilty, not condemned anymore. Never forget where your identity lies. One of my favorite sermons that I've done, I think twice here in different ways in, two, in 10 years, I've done, a, man, is this distinction between image and identity. Image and identity. And a lot of us spend our lives as Christians worrying about our image. And, and we see ourselves the way we convince other people to see us. Or the way we, right, we get our value from the image that other people have us and we chase our tail because we're constantly trying to get acceptance from that and security from that and confidence from that and hope from that. And you'll never, ever, ever get a full sense of identity if you're chasing it but trying to have an image from other people. We get our identity in Jesus realizing we are his son. We are his daughter. We are his child. We are his heir. And he sees us as forgiven and free and blessed and blessed. Don't forget that. Don't forget who you are in Jesus. Don't, don't try to get your identity from whatever image you're working so hard to have other people. Do you ever leave a meeting thinking, oh man, I said that, I shouldn't have said that. They probably think I'm a really, really bad person. And then for weeks you're freaking out about it. Right? Well, we all kind of should do that. But man, some of us, the only way we see ourselves is how others see us. But don't forget how Jesus sees you. Don't forget, if you're a believer, how Jesus sees you. He then tells us some of those blessings in verse 14. He circles back to that and said, look, here's your blessings, right? Not only your identity, but that you have the right to the tree of life. And if you're a Christian, you have right to enter the city by the gates. We've talked about what those things are, right? Tree of life, that the hope of revelation is that we will not always be in a broken world where we have echoes and longings for what we were made to experience. The hope of revelation is that one day every echo and every longing of what we were made to know, we will experience for all of eternity. That will never be taken away from us. We will enter the city, another blessing, which means, man, we're going to be in the presence of God. We were made to be in a relationship with God. We were made to enjoy that, to benefit from that, to grow from that. And that is what we have echoes for and longings for. And one day, part of the blessings is you're going to experience that. We, we've talked about that a lot, but man, your hope will be fulfilled. Won't that be a great day? Won't it be amazing when one day we never have to say, I hope that? 
There's a day coming when we're not going to have to say, I hope that, because it'll be like, it is. It is. They'll never, there's a day coming when when you're praying, you'll never have to wonder if there's ever anybody up there actually listening. Because you will be face to face with a God who thinks you are amazingly valuable, who made you, who you are in the presence of him. Blessed. Blessed. And then there's another thing we see about Jesus as we continue in the story, right? The last part kind of a revelation that Jesus wants to remind us of in verse 16. He says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things to the churches. Now, it's really interesting. This is the only time in the entire New Testament where you'll see this phrase. This is the only time in the entire New Testament where Jesus says, I, Jesus, and he's saying that, right, to, to undergird the importance of it and the truth of this. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I, Jesus, like, hold on. I, Jesus, is saying to the Christians reading this that, hey, everything that you've just read in this letter, churches of Revelation, Christians in Revelation, people of Calvary, Jesus is saying, I'm the one that has given that to you. Jesus is ending this book where there's been visions and there's been challenges to churches and there's been comments of hope. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, guys, all of that is from me. Like, I have been speaking to you through my angel. These are my words. Jesus is reminding us that all of the book of Revelation is from him. And more broadly, every single word in this book is from the triune God. Now, I know, the problem with being a pastor is you say things that sound so pastory. Didn't that sound pastory? Every single word in this book is from the triune God. That sounds what a guy on the stage should say, but that's sometimes a, I think that's sometimes a hindrance to this, right? Because I say what you expect you should say, what you, but, but, and we sometimes don't grab it, but listen. Every single word of this book is from the triune God to you. One more time, in case the coffee that you had this morning got lodged in your throat, don't sue Calvary. Well, you can sue Calvary Church now. What do I care? Okay. <laughs> Every single word of this book is from the Creator God to us. Jesus. What Jesus is trying to get us, the last words, some of the very last words that he's recorded for us to know until we hear him again face to face is that, guys, I've spoken to you. Jesus, here's the third reality, truth about Jesus. Jesus has spoken to us. Now, if you're like me, <clears throat> um, man, especially as we've been processing the, the story that God has for us. If you're like me, there, are there many times that you just think, man, I wish I could just hear from God. I, I wish I could just hear from God. I wish God would just speak. I, I've said that a ton, probably 1.7 times on average a week, okay? Now, if you're like me, what I'm, this is what we mean, right? What we mean is I got to make a decision, and I wish God would text me. Or we mean man, there's this question that I have about what is God going to do? Why is God going to make me wait? 
Why did God allow this to happen? Why did God not cause this to happen? Why won't God just speak to me? And what we mean is in that particular question, we want a specific answer from God audibly. And, 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 but there's moments when all of us are like, man, I wish God would just speak to me. And, and I know we're talking about specific instances in our lives, but what we can't forget is, guys, guess what? He has. He has. And sometimes what I think we do is we spend a whole lot of time running around trying to figure out if the woodpecker at our neighbor's house is some sign from God. Have you ever done that? I wish God would speak to me. And you see a cloud in the sky that looks like a chicken sandwich, so you think, I got to go to Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> That's what happened to us. Is that weird? Is that not? <laughs> I mean, I thought that was a sure sign, right? But, but, and, and so we spend all this time trying to find a sign. When what we need to remember is maybe the exact question isn't answered. Maybe he won't tell you whether to move or to stay, but maybe he's already told you, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Maybe he's already told you, let your light so shine. Maybe he's already told you, be honest, steward your money well, prioritize the work of the kingdom. Jesus has spoken. And so my challenge to you would be, man, know the book. Know the book. God has given this to us. Like literally God has said, hey, y'all need to know some things about me. Check it out. Is it hard to understand? Yeah. Is it confusing? Yeah. Is it in chronological order? A lot of it isn't. And so there's resources to help us, but... Jesus has spoken to you. And if the triune God who created you and loves you has taken time to tell you what he thinks you should know, don't you think we should know it? And then, when you have that longing to hear from God, man, man don't forget that you've already heard from him. Don't forget that you've already heard some truth from him that probably speaks to some principle that you're wondering about. And in addition to that, we got to be okay knowing that God doesn't answer any questions, every question. We got to be okay knowing that God doesn't answer every question. And then there's one final thought and one uh, final reminder from Jesus, 22:17, Revelation 22:17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus does something so interesting here. And, and here's what he does. He, he's saying that we're at the end of the story. These are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Remember, that's the original readers of this audience. Their lives are not good. Their lives are hard. They want to see Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is after all these words, right, after they realize the broken condition of the world, the Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus, just come back and fix it. The church who's heard these words, the original readers are like, okay, Jesus, we know there's a great day coming, so will you come back? What Jesus is ending with is saying these words. There are people inviting Jesus to come back. Two groups, spirit bride, right? The people who've heard this. Two different audiences are saying, Jesus, we are inviting you to come back. But th and then Jesus flips and says, but hey, guess what? I'm inviting people. 
Jesus is saying, I am being invited to come back, but at my final, almost last words that will ever be recorded, inspired by God, what Jesus says is, but don't you forget that I am also inviting people to come to me. I'm being invited, but I'm inviting. And the people that I'm inviting are the one who are thirsty and the one who desires to take the water of life the initial application and thrust of this is to non-christians now now this is really interesting right let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life that invitation initially right kind of like the first tier audience is to non-christians It is to people who have not yet fallen into that blessed category because they have not yet responded to Jesus. Who who were the original recipients? Oh, please answer this question. My last question I'll ever ask you right. Who were the original recipients of this letter? I'll give you a hint. If you go in the beginning, you'll say two letters to the seven. Oh, yes! That was a little weak, guys, to be honest. B-plus performance. This was a letter written to churches. Isn't it interesting that in a letter written to churches, there's an invitation given to people who aren't yet Christians to come to Jesus? You know what the implication is? In that day, there were probably some people sitting in one of those seven churches who didn't know Jesus. And the implication is that probably for the history of the entire church, At some point in every church's story, there's been somebody who's been associated with that church, and they look like they got it. They know the code words. They dress up nice. They're sometimes the one volunteering to serve in nursery. You'd think, yeah, man, top-tier Christian, A-double-double-plus. But what Jesus is saying is, look, hey, I, I see the churches. I see the seven churches who are going to have heard this letter read to them for the first time, and what Jesus knows is there are going to be some people in those churches who are still thirsty. Still thirsty because they haven't responded in faith to what Jesus has done. And there are still some people in that churches who, who haven't taken the water of life, and what Jesus is doing is ending his comments saying, guys, look, people's final thoughts and words are important. We always want to know, right? Jesus' almost final recorded words that we have are, man, if you don't know me, I'm inviting you to come to me. I'm inviting you to come to me. Jesus, fourth thing to remember, has grace and is always available for you to come to him. Twelve minutes ago, we talked about what the gospel was. The gospel is, and flip back, right? This, this, I think, is really fascinating. Go back. Can you go back one slide, please? Sorry, I had to be a diva my last time up here, you know. Desires to take the water of life, what does this say? Okay. The way us responding to Jesus is responding to his free gift. Us obtaining salvation, forgiveness, no more shame, no more gift, guilt is a free thing that we get from Jesus. 
And it's interesting because sometimes there are people in churches who are like, yeah, why are you a Christian? It, they, they'll say, well, Jesus died on the cross for me, and man, I, I'm working really, really hard to be a good person. Okay, well, yeah, no, because I know that if I'm a good person, then I'll be okay for eternity. Well, you kind of got a little mixed up. And I say this because I've done this for 20 years now. And there, it's just always interesting that there's still that flavor running through the river of we need to add something to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You don't. It is a free gift without price. Now, when we respond to what Jesus has done on the cross and we are freely saved, yeah, are there obligations then to obey Jesus? Yes. Is there a cost then? Yes. Does Jesus ask things of us? Yes. But obedience is not what takes our sin away. We obey because our sins have been taken away. The work of Jesus on the cross is what takes our sin away. And if you on the blue chair are counting on anything else, say, man, what Jesus is doing this morning is inviting you to come to him. Inviting you to come to him. Remember, and that's the first tier, but then there is, most commentators think, a tier to Christians too. Right Throughout the Bible, uh, this idea of being thirsty, it's, it's a metaphor for a person who needs refreshment, for a person who senses a need spiritually to be revitalized and to be invigorated, right? And while the primary audience is non-Christians, the, there's also this application to Christians. And just remember, if you're a Christian, man, when the days get long and the years get hard and you are spiritually um, parched, that, man, Jesus has grace and is always available for you to come to him. I'm going to uh, invite the worship team to come up here and wrap down our time together. And, and here's what we've seen, right? This is what Jesus wants us to know as we wrap up our time in Revelation. Jesus is... Jesus has enabled you to be blessed and views you as blessed. Jesus has spoken to us, and Jesus has grace and is always available for you to come to him. And so, I am now, after a year-ish, going to read to you this was a pull-up point, Hill. Um, and I'm going to leave to you final words uh, of the Bible. And it says this. He who testifies to these things say, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Let's stand. Let's worship together. And this last part better not be sad or else I'm jetting. <laughs>